Good evening, oh, good evening, everyone. Um, uh, I know I'm not on video this evening. Uh, I've got kind of a unique situation going on, but uh, beyond that, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So tonight we've got uh, Dan and Dave um, and Blunty. Uh, Alex won't be joining us this evening. I believe he's, uh, you know, doing his uh, school thing, um, which is a good thing for him. We we do want him to pursue that, but. Uh, I do have a couple articles that we'll cover and then a couple things that we're working on um, to kind of move forward with um, some of the stuff that's coming up. So um, first off, I've got uh, Dan, we'll go ahead and start with the DJI um, remote ID mandate. So our first article uh, comes from SUIS News. Uh, this is something we saw, I think, last week, um, if not the week prior. But uh, uh, DJI um, is, uh, has submitted uh, several of their latest models uh, for uh, remote ID approval and has gotten that approval. Um, they've submitted their Mini 3 Pro, the Avada, obviously that's their newest one, uh, the Air 2S, the Mavic 3, the Mavic 3 Cine, uh, the M30 and the M30T. Um, Newly manufactured hey, versions. Go ahead. We're getting double voice, or I'm getting oh. double voice. I think. I wonder. Hang on. Oh, never, never mind. I had the stream open. <laughs> Go ahead. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, um, so newly manufactured versions of these drones will comply with remote ID with no further action required. But customers who already own those drones will be able to comply with remote ID rules by downloading a free firmware update at a later date. Uh, DJI is seeking FAA approval for additional drone models, which will be posted on the FAA website as they are approved. Um, so the models with the remote ID functionality. Oh. Take care of that real quick. Um, <clears throat> let's see, models with the remote ID functionality include the notation ASTM F3411 22A RIDB on the regulatory label attached to the drone. So the ASTM standard is the standard that uh, uh, was created by the ASTM working group. I think that was about 150 people working together for about three years to, to create that. And uh, I believe some work is still being done on that, correct Dave? Is the internet cut off mute? Yes, the, uh, <laughs> and there is a, the second standard, 3586. Am I getting that right? The uh, is the sum of thir the 3411 plus the second one make make up the compliance. So it's interesting that uh, DJI chose the older standard to to label their uh, their document or their their drone. And yeah, there's a, a little bit of uh, work uh, that is addressing the uh, conditions that the FAA added to the approval of the uh, of the means of compliance. Absolutely. Hopefully, so, we'll wrap that up tomorrow. Yep, that'd be great. And then uh, they do mention in this article, which we know to be true at this point, um, that the FAA has pushed back the um, the uh, enforcement date of standard remote ID uh, for manufacturers until December sixteenth. So they, they've given uh, folks uh, a couple more months to, to get their 
their uh, standard remote ID solutions squared away, submitted, and approved. So as long as they're um, showing some progress towards that goal, <laughs> or whatever correct. that that stated. <laughs> right. So um, definitely an interesting uh, turn of events. Uh, we predicted that that this would get pushed back a little bit, and uh, luckily it has to allow some folks to uh, move forward. So a uh, good deal there. So um, on the listing for the Avada, does do they list like specific serial numbers that are compliant or everything will be compliant at a future date with the firmware update? Um, so it's saying that newly manufactured versions will comply with remote ID uh, with no further action. Um, existing ones that are in the wild is a, a free firmware update um, later on. So, so, so basically they're saying if they're manufactured after the deadline, they'll come with firmware <laughs> that meets the rules. But if they were manufactured before the deadline, you need to update the firmware. Yeah, and I imagine that DJI is going to push this all the way to, to, to December to ensure that firmware is going to be stable and, and whatnot. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a good question. All right. Any questions, concerns, comments on that one? I'm a little Thought? curious right now if anybody has Nevada and if you uh, fire up like the open drone ID app on your phone, does it detect anything or is there no no remote ID broadcast yeah. whatsoever right now? As far as, as far as I know, it's broadcasting the same drone ID that all DJI drones do. The only thing that doesn't, that DJI runs, is the, uh, is the, um, the air units and the Vistas. Yeah, the, and we don't the know FPV if the new system. air unit will. Sure. Yeah. But as far as I know, both the old potato, you know, and the new Avada, um, both broadcast like DJI's drone ID. I don't know if, I don't think they're broadcasting like extra data. Like I don't think it's generating a session ID that's different unless they are already compliantly doing that under like the drone ID that DJI already does for Aeroscope. Um, but, um, I know they're already broadcasting that. So right. and then they also just pushed an update to the app that uh, adds the Japanese remote ID and they already had French remote ID like in the apps that automatically like can be enabled basically if you turn on the settings and up, do an update. So I imagine that it's like basically like that, where like they'll roll that update out into the app and then that'll turn it on, you know, if you enable it. And like if you do the update and you're in the region, probably, I imagine, because that's the requirement, right? That's that's a good question or something to consider, right? Is will it automatically turn on if you do the update in your FCC? Or will it, because FCC could be Canada, right? And that wouldn't have the requirement, so... It may be your. I would suggest that it would automatically turn on because one of the requirements of the rule is that you cannot turn it off. Uh, so if it's going. So it would do it based on geolocation. Do you think? Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it could it could use its own GPS when it boots up and turn it on. It could enable it through if you're doing the update from your cell phone and your cell phone knows where you're at. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. there's lots of options for DJI there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but absolutely. as as XJet's talk mentioning in the chat, in the future that means you can't fly the Avada without your phone because I, it sounds like it's getting your location of the transmitter station from your attached phone that's connected to the system. Yeah, it's yeah. a good. That's a good I, thought the, I thought the head. I thought the headset had a GPS in it. I don't know that that's been confirmed. Okay. I, mean, I don't think is, it does. There is a, Maybe it does. No but. GPS, but it does have a Bluetooth transmitter. According okay. to XJet, it says DJI says you need your phone to be connected to be remote ID compliant. There you go. 
Well, there we go. That works. So, <clears throat> yeah, that'll that'll definitely be interesting to to see how that rolls out and you know what the firmware entails and and whatnot. So, wonder how many people will get upset because they've updated the firmware now they can't fly anymore maybe they can't play run the app on their phone because they don't have a compliant or a compatible phone that'll be yeah i'm sure there'll be yep. a few unhappy people out there from that well the other thing to ask here is like uh, you know maybe i don't know but you know dji already dji already like lets you quote unquote unlock your drone you know like will that same thing be happening there would be like a website you can go to that they don't know about that you can just unlock the drone and they don't patch it so that's conveniently okay for them. You know what I mean? Because they don't control that that hack. You know, like that's the difference, right? They just like allow it or don't allow it by patching or not patching it. Well, presumably to be compliant with standard remote ID, there needs to be a level of <clears throat> tamper resistance to you know move forward. So it'll be interesting to see if that still applies and and if it's you know unless it just you know, bricks the drone. I mean, yeah, right be... now, even on, you know, at least in the goggles, we can write to the RTOS and the firmware, like basically the entire goggle architecture, at least the V1 and V2, you can write to, you know, you can't like save the right to the RTOS, but you can write every time it boots. So I wonder like what that'll be, you know, like from the other side, if the operator disables it, right? It's not on DJI, which is kind of like, no, no, that, that definitely is going to fall on the operator for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, FPV WTF. That hack yeah, that's that's here? the root hack. That's the current root yeah. hack, yeah. But there's also drone hacks, which does all the drone stuff, which I imagine would be the drone side of things. But it'll just be interesting, because right now you can, like, NFC unlock and FCC unlock through a hack you, like, pay for and then flash with the website, you know? And they have stopped it in some cases, but there's also some cases where, you know, if you don't update fast enough and you do the hack beforehand or they you wait long enough, then they'll just hack the new version. You know, it's not on DJI to do that. And I don't know. It's weird. Also, like, they have where you can do a text file to override the FCC power levels, right? And that's something they put in the firmware, right? So that seems like more obviously something they couldn't do for like an override for something else, right? Like, but that's where the gray area lands, I think, right? Because like, who put what oh, in yeah. where and like, what actually controls it and like, who told them and like, is it all in the operator to still do that? And like, you know, because the FCC yeah, lets you sell whatever as long as the operator has to unlock it, right? So would it be the same thing mm -hmm. with, with this? Not so, so, not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah. The FCC has uh, accountability at the manufacturer, the retailer, and the operator for uh, VTX uh, transmissions. So, but it's about marketing, that, isn't it? Ooh, oh, it's distribution and operation. And I understand so it was distribution based on marketing, like all the stuff that they're getting fined, like uh, Hobby Wing, Hobby King is getting fined for, is all marketing, isn't it? Like a lot of the the lawsuit is marketing. Because they didn't market it to ham operators, right? That was the whole thing, or like a big part of it. I don't think so. I believe it was that they were uh, transmitting in two two frequencies that were at one was a navigation frequency and the other was an ambulance frequency, and they and that was like no, that was those right. were the violations. But then of course the FCC also has a restriction for those frequencies to not operate over one watt. So I, I think that the, you know, I, I would say, you know, personally, I am radio yeah. operator, have my general license, and for those frequencies, we're, we are all restricted to one watt max. So I will not transmit more than one watt. Gotcha. But, you know, but that's, that's me. I know. I mean, it's, it's uh, just, 
All that stuff is super confusing. Like Lexi points out in the chat, like, doesn't that, isn't that telecommand? Like, I know they specifically lay out telecommand versus other broadcast, right? So video is different than control link. I remember reading about that. But then you have to, like, dig through the laws with how that works, right? Because then, then there's also, like, you're supposed to broadcast your ID, right? And then, but they said, if that's in the LSD, that's okay. Like, there's all these, like, layers of it, right? And I don't, yeah, there, I don't know how to There are, it but, and it is, uh, yeah. it's, it's of a, uh, uh, it, the, the post is correct that you do not have to broadcast your, um, call signal every 10 minutes if you are controlling a remote vehicle. However, yeah. the frequencies that we operate in uh, are absolutely limited to one watt. Okay, gotcha. So I'd be also curious to see once uh, the Avada has firmware that uh, enforces remote ID, how they, they're implementing that rule that we found where you should be able to fly indoors without a GPS lock uh, because you can pass the pre-flight checklist even though you don't have accurate GPS because that doesn't consider isn't considered a failure of the remote ID system. Yeah. So like if the only thing you're getting from your phone is GPS, then why would you need your phone to be able to fly? Understood. And I think we're at a uh, we're on a point of uh, intent versus a uh, probably what you know a loophole or an error in the mock. And so, yeah, it's it's the same, but you know, in terms of you know that the rule recognizes and the FAA approves a uh, uh, a means of compliance, but of course they have the FAA has the uh, authority to rescind that approval at any moment. Conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that level, but hey, that's that's definitely uh, some good food for thought on on some of that, <clears throat> for sure. All right, so next article that we have it comes from Drone Life, um, cybersecurity for drones, um, AUVSI, and Fortress Information are partnering to develop voluntary voluntary standards. So, this would be something similar to like an ASTM, but uh, more from a private organization. Um, so uh, they announced the launch of an industry-wide partnership concentrated on establishing an enterprise cybersecurity model and a set of voluntary standards meant to safeguard, safeguard uncrewed systems and robotics against cyber risks, uh, leveraging Fortress past experience in establishing voluntary risk-based standards a VUC will um, lead an effort to achieve a consensus, set standards, and promote cybersecurity policies and actions among uncrewed systems, uh, manufacturers, and suppliers. Um, uncrewed vehicles are relied upon for national defense, public safety, commercial delivery, and critical infrastructure inspection, and more. These technologies are increasingly part of an economic foundation for nations across the globe. Um, that came from uh, Avusi's Executive VP of Government and Public Affairs, Michael Robbins. A cybersecure foundation built on universal industry standards among industry stakeholders and suppliers will help ensure the economic and operational potential of uncrewed vehicles is reached. Um, they did a survey of uh, uh, 900, a little over 900 um, Americans uh, conducted last week by Fortress and Avusi. About a majority of U.S. consumers believe that cyber attacks on uncrewed vehicles would be a big deal. 
And that's in air quotes. Um, though most believe an attack should not prevent the vehicle from being used. So um, the survey results, uh, some of the interesting ones, 69% uh, of respondents find it important that the uncrewed vehicle industry coordinate and share cybersecurity data. Um, 76 believe a cyber, 76 percent believe a cyber attack on uncrewed military vehicles would be a big deal, um, but should not. And then 65 percent don't think that an attack should suspend their use. Um, so definitely some interesting stuff. Uh, 38 percent and 29 percent expect to see self-driving cars and self-driving fleet vehicles, respectively, within five years. Um, obviously, that would be a cybersecurity um, risk there. Um, but uh, definitely interesting to see a VUC get into um, basically creating an industry working group. Um, and it's made up of experts from a VUC member organizations who will collaborate with Fortress on the development of a cybersecurity framework, uh, which they intend to complete in under a year. So that'll be interesting I to see how it pulls out. What does any of this mean? I am like... Like that is the most jargony bullshit. Like two paragraphs I've ever heard in my life. Like, what does any what does any of this mean? Like, I don't um, understand what enterprise cybersecurity model of set of voluntary standards meant to safeguard uncrewed systems. Like, so we're doing internet shit to make sure it's more secure. Like, is that is that really all that we're talking about here? Like, I is there any substance in the conversation? Well, like, I think what they're like... looking looking to do is is basically create a cybersecurity or a cyber cyber attack. Um, a diverse kind of framework that people can apply to their systems to, you know, decrease the risk of, of vulnerability, essentially. So, I mean, we, we all know that, uh, you know, things like spoofing and, and whatnot exists um, in terms of, you know, I would say from a counter UAS standpoint, the ability to spoof a radio signal, take over control of an of a aircraft or a vehicle, that kind of stuff. Um, is a potential, um, but I think this is really looking to harden those systems against uh, that kind of uh, risk, I guess, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. So, so they're trying to build, so they're trying to build like, um, like, like we talked about, you, you mentioned ASTM, they're like ASTM, but like, is the idea that instead of like, um, I don't know, like ASTM builds remote ID standards with the technologies to broadcast remote ID. Are we saying this is like basically a layer to say like, here's what people would do if you need to be cyber secure in your UAS or counter UAS stuff. And then people will adopt that similar to the ASTM. Is yes. that the idea? I think that's what the idea is, is that they're creating a group to create a set of standards to, um, you know, Harden, harden those types of systems, those those unmanned uh, vehicle systems, and I don't think they're restricting it uh, specifically to drones. I think they're uh, focused on all types of of um, unmanned systems, um, okay. whether that be driverless vehicles, it could be drone delivery, it could be you know uh, stuff that they use to you know scout the seafloor. I mean think of anything that, that would be, you know, a, a pretty big deal and being able to, you know, harden that against any kind of attack. And so, I mean, everybody's, everybody's a little paranoid these days. Um, so I think uh, it's just taking that step to create a standard that they can suggest to people to, you know, create that layered protection, essentially. Gotcha. Right. 
I don't think a VSC story is a story just a press release. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. But uh, at the same time, it's interesting, you know, food for thought, right? In terms of um, pr protecting uh, assets. I, I apologize. I uh, had to sign off, sign back in. So if this is redundant. Uh, my apologies. I wanted to comment that it, this is unusual, and I think something new that AUVSI is authoring a standard. Um, it's a big endeavor, and will be competing with uh, international standards bodies. Okay, that's that's one. It's a it, it's a you know it is effectively creating a product. And it's not easy, um, so that should that's newsworthy. The second is that there is a counter UAS ARC Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, being started, and so it's an interesting timing that uh... yeah. Dan, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, we listening. heard heard yeah. most oh. of that, but I missed a couple of words at the end. Oh, I, I thought I froze again. So no, it's interesting. It's interesting timing from uh, AUVSI's perspective that right in time for an arc, they're kicking off a standards effort, and so it it feels like a a coalition to present to the arc or at least uh, work within the arc as uh, as it gets going. So we we will try to volunteer. Uh, we'll try. We will volunteer. We'll see if we're successful in um, uh, participating in the counter UAS aviation rulemaking. Right. So the paranoid take on this is they're going to make a big committee to make sure that they have places to have back doors so they can have counter UAS on all of our drones, right? Like that's the paranoid take, right? Because like if you're like because I'm thinking about if you're if you're creating a standards for for cybersecurity, you're trying to protect against the attacks that the counter UAS arc is like like developing right like if I you're just look at it as more of a mercenary view and if you're helping yeah. develop a standard your time to market's better than someone else's and so if you're successful in a ubiquitous standard you cut out competition and you know, you do it for the good of the community and so it's oh i see gotcha i mean that's yeah and that, and that's uh, that's a little uh paranoid but <laughs> I mean, when you have, if if you can get fantastic market share, you know, for example, DJI could set standards in as video videographer drones, but I don't think they would, uh, given their uh, the current political climate right now of uh, China versus the rest of the world. But AUVSI coming in as a U.S. association. Uh, <laughs> Lucy. And there, there are you know drone responders is international, and you know a lot of the concerns are. Uh, but AUVSI is located in DC, and they have a lot of excellent contacts uh, in uh, the various three-letter uh, security agencies. So lucrative contracts follow. Oh yeah, definitely. I would imagine so. All right, so I do have a couple uh, drones for good. Uh, we always pick up like some of those, so. Uh, this isn't the first uh, company, I don't believe, that uh, started doing this. Uh, I believe a, a lot of this has been going on worldwide. But um, the uh, there's a Seattle drone startup replanting forests after wildfire, utilizing drones. Um, so a swarm of giant drones navigates a scorched moonscape, 
tracing a rugged topography. Uh, the scene has a desolate sci-fi vibe, but it's really rooted in terra firma. The devices belong to Drone Seed, a Seattle startup deploying technology to help restore some of the millions of acres of forest that have burned in wildfires across the U.S. and beyond. Uh, the conflagrations include fires so intense that they don't leave any live trees to provide new seeds or seeds in the soil, So and, and so massive that they create barren islands uh, from seed sources. Um, and left alone, the burns can sit as treeless grass or shrubland for years, um, not to mention erosion and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, utilizing drones, the company can quickly disperse seeds in an area with fragile soils and no roads. They have receded thousands of acres since 2019. Uh, drone seed is scaling its efforts up, um, scrambling to meet demand. They landed uh, $36 million in new venture capital last year. Um, so let's see, we're out trying to seed hope, they said. Um, the idea of scattering seeds by air isn't new, but drone seed was the first company to secure FAA approval to use, use so-called heavy lift drones for its targeted seed delivery. The startup, which launched in 2016, uses technology at every step of the reforestation process from pine cone collecting to monitoring receding acres. Um, so pretty cool. Uh, definitely uh, a drones for good kind of story. Um, it's good to see the different uses of drones, uh, not only you know, with, uh, you know, what we do as a hobby, but, you know, what's available um, moving into, you know, doing it for a living and, and, you know, doing things that can help, uh, you know, the rest of the world. So good on them for, for doing that kind of stuff. Um, the next one I have is uh, an interesting one. So this actually isn't out of uh, America. This is out of, I believe, England. Um she has used her drone to locate over 200 lost dogs uh, for her neighbor. She does it free of charge. Uh, let's see. Uh, Erica Hart, um, she, let's see, the 33-year-old rushed to the last known location uh, after receiving a call and within 20 minutes spied the escaped pooch running down a residential road. When the two-year-old dog uh, darted into a nearby field and kept moving, Erica was able to direct Jamie and his wife to the best spot for intercepting her. Um, let's see. What she did is brilliant. She's a hero, a real superhero. Um, Erica was in constant communication with us. She knew what she was doing and where to look. Um, said Leah, who had no idea how the dog escaped their fence yard, but thought it must have been spooked by thunder. Um... She doesn't charge. The humble drone operator believes she's rescued more than 200 dogs in seven years and has started a Facebook group where users share last dog posts and Erica shares the happy endings. She doesn't charge any money for the service. It just says she does it purely for the love of dogs, even if it means spending money on fuel for a car instead of treating treating herself. So definitely pretty cool. <laughs> wow, that is pretty cool. I've actually found a handful of pets in the past few years uh near me but i have never thought of using the drone to try to track them down right um, but most of the areas we've that we've helped find some lost pets have been very covered with trees it'd be really hard to find them with a drone yeah definitely in those forested areas it'd be difficult but in a neighborhood definitely makes a whole lot of sense so yeah we've covered a bunch of those stories on the news it's crazy how many are found um I w i'll post another link in the chat here um drone sar uk um is a uh, like a collaboration of like a bunch of people who get together and find lost dogs um, in the UK. 
um, with drones. It's like their whole thing. They do it for no money, and they have like forty-two thousand people in a group uh, that that like all help find lost dogs if you lose your dog That's in the UK. Cool. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I mean, drones for search and rescue. I mean, whether it's for a dog or whether it's you know humans or you know some of the experiences Dave and I had for. For a lot of snowballs out in the middle of the field during the middle of Flight Fest. I mean, it's super fun. It's awesome. It, it's cool being able to do that kind of stuff. And I mean, definitely uh, helping folks uh, is, you know, a reward in and of itself. So, really neat. All right. I had, I had another article when you're. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I've uh, got this in the chat. Uh, Dan, if you can pick that up, if you will display it. Sure. Um, our friends at uh, Aloft and uh, our, the CEO of Aloft, John Hagrain, announces a new product. And if you, one of the great things about this, so Aloft uh, is the software developer behind Before You Fly, and they also have uh, their own enhanced capabilities within Aloft. They have a new platform that they've been developing, and if you scroll down, where it's a nice column where it says features available, just a little more, a little more, more. There you go. See, free. So John has been committed to provide landscape abilities uh, for free, and we are uh, ever so grateful. So this helps not only recreational, but part 107 pilots, and the product is very uh, effective, and uh, we really appreciate that uh, that this is a, a company that really supports uh, FPV and recreational use. And, Especially that Lance uh, part on the checklist. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, full, full disclosure, John is a, a board member of Drone Safety Team. I'm now a member of Drone Safety Team. So we do work together, but there's uh, no financial affiliation between Aloft and FBVFC. And weather check so I can know when there's a tornado so I can go out and fly purposefully when the weather's really bad? <laughs> That's the only reason I would use the weather check is to know when I should fly when it's bad. Now, I, I just glanced at this, but Dan, this looked to me like this is a new platform or a new app. So it, it appears that uh, you'd, uh, we'd download this and then sign in with our existing Aloft account. If I, I think I have that correct. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to fully read the email they sent or uh, why. And this this part that's on screen right now is actually saying, why the new app? So I haven't read all of that to figure out exactly why do they have a new app instead? Why did they not just update the old one? Right. But we'll. But yeah, we haven't had much time. This just came out this afternoon, didn't it? Popped out today, yeah. Yeah, 20, cool. 21 September from uh, from John. Yeah. And let's see. I uh, just verbally an update on um, had a, a real interesting discussion with about 20 FAA folks. So as part of the, when we're working on an AAAC, Advanced Aviation, Advanced, yeah, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee, formerly DAC, uh, one of those tasking groups frequently will ask uh, the FAA a question of, for clarification 
and we'll get you know, a good answer. But usually an email traffic back and forth, and they it's also filtered because they have to be careful what they provide to a FACA. So it's you can bet that a, a lawyer is reviewing the response, etc. So we had about 20 FAA folks on the phone answering uh, a series of questions that we had associated with tasking group 13. And what what's encouraging about it is that they had the, the FAA folks on live talking to those of us in the tasking group. And they also had an attorney on to uh, jump in in case uh, someone, some FAA member um, went over the line, so committed something that, you know, uh, they couldn't, talked about a, a rule that was, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, in flight. So I mean, it was, and there, no one was stopped. But you know they have they have to take those precautions. But I would the the openness and the dialogue uh, was great. Jay Merkel, the executive director, UAS Integration Office, uh, inter introduced the session, and then Abby Smith, the new deputy director, UAS Integration Office, uh, and co-chair of the drone safety team, uh, stayed through the entire event and was the senior senior exec on the FAA side. So a little you know. A little, you know, a little more flexibility in working uh, with us. So that that was a real positive. So that we anticipate that uh, that work will be presented on 20 October. The uh, location of the ACK meeting has now been set. And we lost Dave. <laughs> that. Oh, oh, we've got audio back. back. No, <gasps> yes. Are you there, Dave? Here, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> We've lost your video, but keep keep going. We can hear you now. And the uh, so the the ACT meeting is set for Arlington, Virginia, on the twentieth of October, uh, ten to three, I believe, is the time. There, um, the only people available or uh, permitted to be there in person are ACT members and uh, or their desig and and the designated staff. Uh, and so uh, we'll be tying in uh, electronically again. And of course, we do have uh, an active uh, application uh, into the DAC. So we have not been invited to be there by any of the official members? Correct. I'm sure we could probably get an invitation, but yeah. And I'll put a link in here, I think, to... The ACK and the next meeting it says October 20th. And let's see, uh, they do have some. Oh no, those are previous meetings. They don't have the ebook that goes with that meeting yet. They usually publish that like a few days ahead of time. So then we'll know the agenda and the slides they're going to use and all that stuff. Yep. Yep. And that's all I had. So one of the other things that uh, we did find out uh, more recently is that the FAA reauthorization is being worked on. Um, so we're going to be reaching out to see if you know what we can what we can uh, work with um, work with them on um, kind of uh, some ideas that that we've had and and some of our partners have had about uh, some possible. Good things that we can add to the FAA Reauthorization Act, um, and for those who don't know, the FAA Reauthorization Act is is basically the the budget and the um, go dues for 
Congress that the FAA the mandate. Yeah, the mandate essentially from Congress to the FAA on uh, not only you know what they're doing for crewed aviation, but um, manned aerial uh, vehicles and systems. So um, that's where we saw remote ID come out and um, and so on and so forth. And and there's some stuff that that we're really looking for them to to move forward with. Uh, one of those being you know CBOs and and uh, um, and the like to to move forward with being able to. Uh, get Frias on the table for folks and and um, and what that's going to look like and, and so on and so forth. So one of the things we're going to be doing is obviously reaching out to the folks who in Congress who are going to be working on that, um, giving them our two cents. But, uh, you know, keep a watch on the space, uh, our website or, or here in, in Discord, Facebook, because um, we may be asking for some help from the community uh, to, to kind of... Um, Talk to their 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 senators and, and Congress uh, people to uh, help us uh, kind of make some of those influences and some of those changes going forward. So, good point. Good. Thanks for bringing that up, Josh. Yeah, yeah a key activity, sure. a key activity for us, and uh, certainly the uh, 2018 FAA Reauthorization Act came out in October 2018, uh, just in time for the. Uh, fiscal budget. Uh, so this one we would anticipate to pass uh, early, sometime early uh, to middle of 2023. And of course, it's a five-year period. And I, I stepped in there and said mandate in, uh, intentionally. This is not uh, Congress asking if the FAA would please do this. This is Congress dictating to the FAA as one of the executive agencies uh, executive branch agencies, this is what you will get done. And here's, here's your budget, and here's how you're supposed to spend it. That's right. How, do, how does this kind of thing get drawn up, like re in reality? Like, are, is, there, is everybody sitting in a room pitching things that go into this? Or is, are people pitching drafts of this from some place? Are there different, you know what I mean? It, like, I don't understand. From, from, what, from what I understand from the folks who have described it to me is the, it, there are uh, their staff, that uh, gains uh, access to subject matter experts and the and the core staff also has um, a bill uh, you know, uh, skills in writing a bill and they'll they identify a set of um, cohorts that they feel are of interest and they'll reach out and then also they are lobbied uh, so they'll receive uh, input from individuals uh, who are interested in providing input. So uh, when... we know that they reached, that the, this this group of staffies reached out to academia uh, for points uh, and input. So that's a, that's a positive. And uh, we're certainly, we, we adore the, uh, the professor that they, uh, that they ask uh, for input. So that's a, that's a real plus. Um, and then they uh, craft the legislation uh, then gets proposed to uh, as a bill. Uh, we also learned that it is uh, bicameral and bipartisan, which is pretty unusual. So both chambers of Congress are working on it, uh, and they are uh, not playing any games in the sense of being written by the Democrats and it's a uh, you know, Democratic House, so they're just going to get it done. It is bipartisan, so there are 
there is active participation uh, from uh, both parties and uh, that it is being uh, written jointly or not, pardon me, not probably not jointly, but separately uh, by Congress and by the Senate, which implies that that will necessitate a, a conference where they will have to adjudicate the, the differences after uh, a vote in each of the chambers. It's like a civics class, isn't this great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, one thing that yeah. would worry me is like around now or in the next few months, if there was a major news story about somebody doing something bad with a drone, it would instantly find its way into the next FAA reauthorization act because they're in, <laughs> in that mindset, thinking about it, working on it right now, and it'll just get in there and yeah, then we'll be in yeah. trouble. Yeah, it's like a performance review. The most important uh, time for a performance review is the five days before your performance review. Right. That is a fact of human nature. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's hope we uh, we don't have any uh, terrible uh, terror attacks. Uh, Nothing but the drones for good action. news articles. True story. Yeah. We're, we're pushing <laughs> drones for good. That's right. Copies and rescues and all the good that's, things. That's, that's so, right. <laughs> question on this is like, what ha is this similar to like the government budget, like where they shut down if they don't pass it, sort of thing? Like, or how does it work if they don't like get it through? Right? I think so, the FAA would be in real trouble if they didn't pass it. So it really has to yeah, be I'm, passed. I think I think that there are uh, provisions that there are portions of the federal government that continue to operate and the air traffic okay. management is one of them that uh, critical to infrastructure operate. yeah yeah okay gotcha yeah yeah now they'll, they'll so, you know, they have well, there was a furlough and the some of the faa you know so when we when they shut down the government for a couple of weeks the a number of the people in the uh, you know, the non, non-critical staff members, folks that we work with in the UAS integration um, office were sent home. And uh, th that's uh, very unpleasant. And, and they come back to work bitter. And, uh, you, know, they, yeah. you know, it's it's very disruptive. And, you know, it's like, wait a second, I'm here for a job and now I'm just, I'm going to be furloughed. Give me a break. So I, yeah. I can respect the uh, the bitterness. Good question. But so you know, historically, these things pass uh, very uh, unanimously. I think the last one passed what ninety nine to one. Or... Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the the twenty eighteen in the Senate was a hundred to zero. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and the House was a you know, similar. You know, there, so there was, um, you know, there, yeah. We, we, my reason for my reason for mentioning that is we've heard back and forth about. Um, you know, we've talked about how we're not a fan of that. Uh, thing I brought up, I can't even remember the name of it, but it got shot down. Where they're trying to ban, they're trying to do Senate. drone bans. Yeah. So my concern would be like, you know, the Republicans or whoever tries to force some stuff onto the the FAA Reauthorization Act that discusses that sort of thing because they're that's kind of where the heads are at, right? So an interesting point because the it was yeah. um, Senator Lee is one of the advocates of that type of uh, states' rights over uh, FAA preemption. Uh, yet, and he's been bringing it up year after year after year with not a lot of success. And it is the, of course, the, the bill has to go from the uh, aviation subcommittee to, uh, to the full, uh, house. So it would, 
I bet that it's more if unless you're on that committee, it probably is a little more difficult to inject language. Certainly it's done all the time. But mm -hmm. I bet I bet that it, it's not um, uh, encouraged. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, you got to keep in mind the FAA is a, a government-created regulatory agency, right? So the FAA is not uh, made up of elected officials. They're generally appointed slash hired. Um, but, um, yes, senators, I would imagine, around the time of the writing of this, once it once it nears completion, everybody's going to want to put their two cents and their, their stamp on it, right? So they'll submit for, for amendments and, and whatnot through the process. And each one of those will get voted on and either up or down, um, added or not added kind of, kind of situation. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to, you know, you, I think the hard part is, is that, you know, we don't know what's in it. So it's hard for us to say, but we can kind of give them our two cents as, as a, um, you know, somebody who wants to continue to be able to, you know, for the hobby to thrive and, and be able to um, do what we do and, and innovate and, and, you know, break new horizons on, on technology, which has always been characteristic of this type of hobby. And when the bill gets introduced, we'll see the content then, and then um, it's, it's incumbent on us to move very fast. Yeah. I then, and I, and, uh, Put together a utility if you know so let's say there are three things we really don't like then we'll uh, put together a utility that identifies okay here's my zip code all right do i have a congressional representative or senator on one of the two um, aviation subcommittees if yes please submit this form you know click click through and submit a form that says please you know vote you know no on this uh, part or vote yes or please support this change at this amendment to to this bill it's very important to us for the following reason mm -hmm. puppies them <laughs> puppies <children. laughs> yeah puppies <laughs> all right I, that's all i have guys um i don't know dan you got anything or, or blunty this has been a great great conversation for sure Nope, I've got nothing, and uh, none of the three of us are really into racing, as far as I know. So, uh, without Alex <laughs> here, we don't have an update on like multi GP or anything, unless somebody else here has got any multi GP updates for us. No, no, I'm waiting uh, patiently for my uh, my fancy racing frame. I have all the components. I'm ready to go. <laughs> It's gonna be dangerous. <laughs> I don't know about that. We're gonna we're gonna get them in the senior circuit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing for that over sixty. Yeah. There you go. Class. You know, I mm -hmm. figure if they're you know, if they're you know, only one or two people, I I might have a shot. You'll be in the top <laughs> three for sure. Exactly. <laughs> top three finisher. There you go. I can do that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'll give you back the uh, extra nine minutes of your evening. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Um, do appreciate the the um, the comments and the and the questions. And this has been a great discussion over, you know, some interesting articles, some news, and and hopefully we've clued you into kind of what we're working on and what's coming up in 
in the uh, regulatory space. And, and if you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out um, either here on Discord, on our Facebook, um, or on our webpage. We've got some contact forms on there as well. So yeah, if you want to keep the conversation going, keep keep posting in the chat and people will do our best to answer. Absolutely. So thank you. And y'all have a great night. And we we'll see you in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.